What's going on, everybody? I appreciate you watching the podcast. Uh, during this podcast, we had a little bit of technical difficulties. We had some cuts that we had to make, and we had some airplane noises in the back because the air show was going on, and it was poor planning on my part. But at the end of the day, got to get the podcast up. So apologies if the noises are distracting. We're going to be back in the studio for uh, future podcasts. So stay tuned for that and enjoy this conversation with my friend, Tony. Often, you know, usually whenever I'm drinking mm-hmm. or like wedding or like a celebration, it was my birthday on Saturday. I smoked a cigar, okay. A big fat, nasty kimasabi. Do you usually do like darker ones, or are you what do you what do you usually go for? You know, what the God's honest truth is you could tell me that this is like a pristine. Super nice, beautiful, the best cigar you I've are ever smoked. I wouldn't have any idea, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Um, all right, well, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have on Tony Big Papa Acosta shrinking Big Sh- Papa. Shrinking Big Papa. Yeah. Um, so Tony's got an interesting story, and I don't think we've ever like dove into it in a conversation. Um, I don't think in like it's full entirety. No. Just little bits and pieces. Yeah, and I see what you post on Instagram, so I thought... I was actually... I said this to you once, that I, that I wanted to make a documentary about you. Yeah, I, like, rem- I remember you said, whenever you whenever you get down and you've lost 100-something pounds, we're going to make a fucking documentary. Right, yeah. And we still, we still definitely may do that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, so we're, we'll dive into that. Um, just a little preface here. Uh, if there's like airplane noises and whatever, this is our first outdoor podcast. We've never done it before. It's just a, and I'm on the first one and you're on the first one. That's yeah. what I'm talking about, dude. Well, cause here's the thing in the, in the studio, quote unquote, my office, um, the, the AC, it works up there, but we don't like to run it just because it's, it is the hole upstairs when we don't need the hole upstairs. We just need one room. So I have a, uh, win- not a window AC, but like a floor AC in there. Yeah. And, um, if I ran that, it would be too way too loud. Bro, who so. needs AC when it's seventy five and sunny in Florida? It's beautiful. Right. So you from you you're from here? Miami, not here, not Central Florida, but yeah, Miami. So how'd you end up in Central Florida? Um, and don't dox our location. I don't. <laughs> you uh, can you can say like the general area. Yeah, but. just Central Florida, man. Here in the orange groves in the swamp area. Uh, we start. You know, I was born in Miami, and ironically, after Hurricane Andrew, you know, there was a lot of crime down there, a lot of drug trafficking, murder, all sorts of crazy stuff. And they wanted to move to the country, to the rural, you know, nice, quiet. Who's they? Uh, my grandma, my great-grandmother. They were my primary caregivers. Okay. My mom had me when she was incarcerated in Miami-Dade's Women Correctional Facility. Okay. And uh, I was born over there in Hialeah. And immediately after I was born, she had to go back and fulfill her, you know, sentence. Yeah. So my grandma took Which was over. how long? Uh, I think seven years she was doing it at that point. She had done some armed robbery. She okay. had a lot of run-ins with the with the law, and <clears throat> she had just kind of like I, I don't even want to say a rough upbringing. It just wasn't like uh, you know what I'm saying. I, I don't know. She struggled mm-hmm. as a young adult, as an adolescent, big time. Yeah, yeah. And, what uh, was her? Where did she grow up? New York, Brooklyn. New York. Yeah. yeah. And what were her parents like? Um, you know, her dad had passed away and then she had a stepdad and my grandma who I called my mom 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I, I think they were pretty good parents. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, I wasn't there, so I can't be the judge and I'll be all, but you know, my grandma did a pretty good job raising me with, you know, everything she had. Yeah. And so you moved here with her? Right. Her and my great grandmother. My okay. grandma. How old was, were you then? I was probably six or seven. Still a kid. Okay. So you probably only really have memories of Central Florida. Oh yeah. Like very, very limited memories of Miami. Okay. Going back in the summers, stuff like that. Have you been back? I mean, I'm sure you've gone back to Miami since. Yeah, a couple of times as an adult. Uh, yeah, I've never been to Miami. Yeah. I don't know if I want to go. <laughs> I mean, Miami's a beautiful town. It's a two-night town. I mean, you're not missing much. It's just, it's really expensive. And, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, my last name's Acosta. Yeah. So if I walk into any gas station, you know, as soon as you're past West Palm Beach, they are speaking straight Spanish to me. And I wasn't raised, you know. Right. Well, I was raised by Spanish-speaking people, but they didn't teach me how to speak Spanish, so mm-hmm. I'm not bilingual. Okay. I just looked the part. You just looked the part. I look like I'll cut your grass, <laughs> oh, clean, clean, the, clean the glass on your front door. You know what I'm saying? But I no speak hablo poquito español. That's it, dude. Hey, that was good enough for me. Yeah, that's it, man. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. So what what kind of kid were you like growing up? Um, you know, I think whenever you're uh, in childhood, you don't really know the socioeconomic status of what, you know, you are. But now looking back, we were poor, Mm -hmm. super poor. We grew up broke and, you know, it was my grandmother, my great grandmother, like I said, and they were raising me. You know, I can remember the first little bit of moving up here to central Florida. And uh, my grandma, she smoked cigarettes every day. I'm talking like a pack and a half. These bad boys, she was choking them down, Mm -hmm. getting it in, burning down heaters. She did it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, God bless her. She didn't know back in the day, nobody knew secondhand smoke was bad for kids. You know, you fire one up in the car with the windows rolled up. Nobody's thinking anything of it. Smoking in the house. You know, you could go up. I remember as a kid spraying the wall in my house. And we lived in this duplex, a little 850 square foot duplex. And spraying the wall in the house and wiping it. And freaking like the yellow muck nicotine Uh. come off the wall. And you could see the white behind it. So these are the living conditions, you know. Um we we ate a lot of rice and beans, a lot of chicken, mm. you know, bread, butter. Uh, pizza was like the thing. If you got a pizza, you were like CC's pizza. Oh, uh, no, like Pizza Hut pizza, you know, like okay. they have like a large one on like a fire. That's higher class. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, that's what I feel like too. They don't have, I, do they have CC's pizza around here? Oh yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cuz I Ken, Kenny told me about you know how you would, when he was broke, you'd always go to CC's Pizza, and I had it once. I don't I don't remember what it tasted like, but I'm I know it's cheap. But the I remember like they had those all you can eat. Buffet yeah, 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 yeah. They had like a they they have like a pizza buffet, which to me sounds like a great concept, except the pizza is trash. Right, you pizza's know? trash. But if you're poor, you don't know it's trash. So right, yeah. Just I just up. see a bunch of different types of pizzas, and I'm in. You know, yeah. and yeah, you know, how hard is it to really just screw up to pizza? You know. Yeah, I agree. So, anyway. Um, cool. So, uh, you were poor growing up. How were you, how were you like behavior wise? Were you like a troublemaker? So here, here's where everything started to, I think, get messed up in my childhood. Um, my grandma, like I said, didn't take care of herself, pack a day smoker, Mm -hmm. diabetic, you know, lots and lots of problems, refused to take care of herself, didn't eat good, wasn't active. And she ended up taking a fall one day. She's got this massive scab on her right leg. I can remember this as a kid. And uh, 
it's her and my great grandmother and they go to the hospital and they end up saying, Hey, you know, your leg has got an infection because you're diabetic and this infection has now gotten to this level of gangrene. Mm. We have to take your leg or it'll kill you. Right. You know, so I'm seven or eight years old at this point. And, you know, just kind of watching this from, you know, a perspective of outside. And um, my grandma gets the procedure done. And while she's rehabilitating, I go and stay with my Aunt Barbara and my Uncle Paul. And they're really good people. And uh, they took me in, you know, in the hard point. And they had two daughters that were living at the house. I called them my sisters. Mm -hmm. And um, they raised me for probably a couple of years. And then I think about 10 years old. Okay, here's the thing about Aunt Barbara and Uncle Paul. Here's the thing about two parents in the household. And this is how I know this holds true. Yeah. I didn't have problems in my childhood or my adolescent years until I left that structure of the home. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's because they had two people watching over me at all times, you know, and that authoritative figure of the dad and, you know, having mom's back and the mom, you know, just making sure, you know, even though. T.T. Bobby, that's what I call her, my Aunt Bobby. She wasn't my mom. She filled in that role at that mm -hmm. point for two years. She took me to my doctor's appointments to school. She picked me up from school. She went to the teacher-parent conferences. You know, she she did everything, mm -hmm. and they disciplined me, and they were hard on me. You know, they were good on me, but they were hard on me, you know, as they should be. And I remember my great-grandmother had passed away, and my grandma was living at that duplex that I described by herself. And I would go to stay with her on the weekends because my Aunt Bobby would work over at the hospital Saturday and Sunday for like 12-hour shifts. And my Uncle Paul, mm. you know, wasn't going to be the sole, you know, person to watch me. So anyway, I'd go stay over at my grandma's and I got that taste of freedom, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, you know, walking around the neighborhoods and the streets and kind of meeting people and hanging out. And, you know, some of my neighbors weren't bad. Some of them were. You know, we lived in a questionable area, you know, and um, just kind of was influenced at an early age by some of the older kids mm -hmm. that didn't necessarily have the best values and ideas going on. Started smoking cigarettes and ch tasting beers and, you know, what I'm saying experimenting with weed and things like yep. that. And I remember, you know, always wanting to my Aunt Barbara and Uncle Paul when I had to go home, I want to go live with my grandma, I want to go live with my grandma, I want to go live with my grandma all the time. And finally they said, we're going to let you make a decision right now. Nine or ten years old. And I said, I want to go live with her. They said, no problem, we're going to pack your bags up, you'll go. Now, looking back as an adult, that was a crucial crossroads. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Had I stayed there at my Aunt Barbara and Uncle Paul's house, my life probably would have played out completely differently in yeah. my mind. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's how I kind of see it. I apologize for interrupting the podcast, but we have to talk about today's sponsor, which is Agency Lab. Agency Lab is a company that helps you scale your social media marketing agency from zero to 10K per month. And they have offered a free course for you to take today. It's free, 100%. There's no email. There's nothing. It's literally just a series of YouTube videos that are linked in the description right now that you can go watch to learn how to start a social media marketing agency today. So go check that out. Link in the description. Appreciate it. Back to the podcast. This commercial, that, that ad that you just saw was not for a Ninja Creamy, but it should have been for a Ninja Creamy. Have you been liking the Ninja Creamy? It's revolutionary. It's the next step. If you don't have one, what are you doing? You can have yep. ice cream every night for less than 300 calories 
packed with 60 to 75 grams of protein if you know what you're doing. It's a cheat code, dude. It's cheat code. It's a cheat code. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're rolling through Grand Theft Auto and you're looking for a cheat code. Right. And this is it in real life. Straight up. The creamy. Yeah. Uh, pff, revolutionary, seriously. Is it your favorite healthy food hack that you've come across? That and thin crust pizza. Okay. What? Where do you usually get your thin, thin crust pizza? Uh, it it kind of depends. I'll just look at the macros sometimes and I'll get a frozen one. But if I'm going to order- Like the California Pizza Kitchen one? Yeah. California Pizza Kitchen That's one. The, Those are the best ones. Banging. Booming, dude. They're the best, dude. They're yeah. like 800 calories and like 50 eat, grams of protein. Eat the whole thing. Eat the whole thing. Fit no problem. Macros. Yeah. Yeah. You may have to, you know what I'm saying? People, it's funny. People will say to me, they're like, oh, you're losing all this weight, but you're starving yourself because you're doing this intermittent fasting. I'm right. like, oh, but you know, when I was 385 pounds and rolling around here, having McDonald's for breakfast and freaking hibachi and 10 beers for lunch and then staying out till 4.30 in the morning, snorting big old rails of cocaine, smoking cigarettes and just, you know, being a deadbeat dad. Uh, there, there was no problem with that then, right. you know, yeah. but yeah. It, crazy mind blown yeah i think it's that i mean i don't know who who's saying these things and you don't have to drop names but like i feel like a lot of the times that's just people you're kind of making them insecure they're uncomfortable they're uncomfortable by it you know that, somebody that's why people who stop drinking alcohol you know they have the hardest time because people are so comfortable with alcohol yeah so the, the number one question is well, why don't you drink right because they don't feel you know, then then it makes you have to hold up a mirror in front of yeah. you. Unless you're hanging out with a bunch of Mormons, like the culture is so heavily uh, oriented towards not oriented, but like the alcohol is just such a big part of culture that like, especially if you're hanging out with, you know, people who are more into it. I don't really hang out with those people. But, uh, you know, if if you're hanging around with people, especially like people that you've known for a long time and have partied with in the past and whatnot. Then when you all of a sudden decide that you're not going to drink or, uh, you know, you, even if you're just like not drinking as much, you know, yeah. it people, it makes people uncomfortable. People don't like that change. Um, so. I think people like to see you do good, just not as good as them. Right. Right. Exactly. I think you said that. I think you shared that. Recently. I did. I did say that the other day. Yeah. But okay. I didn't make that up. So, okay. So you. Where we last leave off, you, we were talking about you. You had moved back to your yeah. grandmother's. Back in my grandma's house now. Yeah. So turned into, you know, a young man, 11, 12 years old here. Mm -hmm. Kind of have this dipshit neighbor who's probably 14 or 15 at the time. And, you know what I'm saying? He's kind of like pressuring me into, you know, just like, you know, do things that I wouldn't normally do. Like, you know, steal from his parents' coffee shop. And break into like the back of semi trucks and, yeah. you know, start smoking weed in the woods. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like we literally one summer cleared out like this entire like freaking huge trail and like set booby traps out here. And it was like good kind of kid shit, but we were doing right. like also bad. There needed to be some sort of supervision, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, as, as a parent, I always say you got to inspect what you expect. You know what I'm saying? Don't just tell somebody to do something. Go follow up and make sure that they did it. That's yeah. the only way you call them accountable. And we just didn't have that kind of accountability. Yeah. Yeah. You were doing regular. I mean, the stuff you're describing, aside from like, I mean, kind of smoking weed is kind of normal for, for you know, I don't know about 10 or 11, but right. certainly like, you know, 13, 14, that kind of starts to be a little bit more normal. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, the stuff you're talking about, like 
going in the woods and, you know, doing dumb shit. Like we used to throw rocks at windows and like, you know, yeah. run away. Like it was not, not, not bad kid stuff. Yeah. Not, not bad kid stuff. But I, I like remember the first time I got brought home in the back of a police car and it was, we were skipping school with these kids down the road in the woods across the street. <laughs> and like, you know, we must've been like seriously in fifth grade. And we thought it was a good idea to skip because we didn't want to go. So it was me and three dudes and, like, two chicks. And, like, we're in fifth grade, bro. And one of the coaches sees, you know, kids in the woods over there and comes out and tries to find us. And, you know, finds us. And we all, you know, get in trouble for skipping. The cop brings me home in the back of the police car. Get my ass beat. Grandma believed in not sparing the rod. (laughs) It it didn't necessarily not spoil the child, but she did not spare the rod either. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that was the first time. And then, you know, over the next two or three years, there was, you know, three, four more times that it followed, you know, just getting arrested, doing dumb stuff, stealing from Walmart, um, you know, getting into, you know, crazy like sexual encounters, you know, as a kid, you know, as a small, as a, as a child, bro. What's a, I mean, you don't have to go into detail, but what, what, what? Do you, constitutes like a crazy sexual encounter when you're, I mean, obviously any sexual encounter when you're that no, young no, is, no, I'll, is, I'll, is a little. I'll like, say, like I said, I'm an open book dude. And okay. this, this dude who was at the time, 14, 15 years old, he like, you know, sexually abused me as, okay. you know, whenever I was like a tween. All right. You know, and like he would come stay the night at the house and like, these are things like I'm thinking is kind of like, Oh, he's just a friend. He Having just a sleepover. To, yeah. How old was this guy? He was like 14 or 15. He was like, you know, getting saying? to the age where you kind of should was, know better. He was old enough to know better. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like, you know, two kids like, you know, messing around or, you know, like, you know, my kids have like, you know, shown, show me yours and I'll show you mine type deal. You know, that's right. just kid curiosity. Like in stepbrothers when they're measuring each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was, this was not that, but this was also uh, being manipulated at a young age and thinking like, okay, this kid is older. He's cool. He's taking me to do these fun things. You yeah. know what I'm saying? You know, we'd literally, I'd jump out of my window and like, we would ride bikes like five miles to the bowling alley and like literally not doing anything bad. Just like not, you know, being honest and like yeah. doing the wrong things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just cause you, just cause you can. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, rubber meets the road. We get a real bad neighbor and he starts telling me, you know, Hey, you can make some money. And my grandma's running out of money and we're losing, you know, our way of living, which wasn't that good. Anyway, we were poor. Yeah. And I started selling like diamond nickel bags of weed and shit, and, mm-hmm. you know, robbing people and, you know, at a young age, you know what I'm saying? Just like little come ups, $100, $250, like little things. I know? mean, that's a lot. I mean, if you, back you, then it's a lot. Yeah. Now, today, you know what I'm saying? Well, how much of that are you keeping? Is it all going to your grandma? I'd give her some and she, she kind of knew where it came from. I was going to say, cause like, isn't she asking questions or is oh, it just yeah. because she's that broke that she's like, nah, like I'm not going to ask any questions. She would kind of ask some questions, but I just didn't want to give her an answer. I'm talking like 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. So anyway, rubber meets the road. Uh, I'm kicked out of school because at this point, you know what I'm saying? Uh, here's the thing. Like there's certain, you know, things I'm doing in school failing sixth grade. I failed sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was getting straight F's and D's. I wasn't going to class. I was cutting class. I was getting referrals all the time. I was constantly on work to tail. I was constantly in ISS, just like a really terrible student because, you know, my grandma couldn't really tell me what to do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or she wasn't in that position. She wasn't in the position that she needed to be raising a kid, right. a teenager, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And um, she did the best she could with what she had, and I'm forever thankful for it. 
But um, the rubber meets the road. You know, she's got amputee, so she's in a wheelchair. You got to think this whole time, this lady is in a oh, wheelchair, yeah. choking down a pack and a half of Benson Hedges and Gold, soft gold pack cigarettes. She on, like, disability and stuff, too? Yeah, disability, getting food stamps. You yeah. know, like, I, I'm not aware that she's collecting Social Security from her husband, who's deceased, and you know what I'm saying? This is how we're living. Now, where are your, where are your actual biological parents at, at this point? Well, I don't know about my dad, dude. The mother... He he is my my dad. He's got to be the champion of all hide and go seek players. <laughs> you know what I'm saying of all time because he's still gone. Wow. And, uh, my mom is still this, out getting the milk. This is the funny part, dude. Yeah, still out getting the milk. <laughs> my man said I got to go out for a pack of smokes and never came back. But um, here's the interesting part. My grandma gets sick again, mm-hmm. and this time she ends up she's gonna have to go to the hospital. My mom had just started trying to get in touch with us. And I hate my mom at this point. You know, I'm so angry because I'm very aware of everything that's happened, you know, kind of this sense of abandonment as a child. And I'm aware that I have, you know, a brother and a sister out there. And my mom was a prostitute, you know what I'm saying? So here's the thing. Like, I don't know my dad. And I don't know. My dad could have just been seriously, you know, some John Doe. Just a customer. Yeah, just a customer. He might not have any idea. So, you know what I'm saying? You're going through this world pissed off already. Hate Mm -hmm. my mom. Hate my dad. Here she comes trying to get involved in our life right when my grandma's dying, you know, and I don't know what's going to happen to me. Yeah. I've pretty much been, you know, navigating this life, you know, by myself and luckily had some people, you know what I'm saying, show me the way. I mean, I'm trying to tell you, bro, I learned how to drive at 12 years old. The lady, Miss Lee, you know, the lady that plays pickleball, the older lady that I always say, yeah, 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 yeah. She's one of my old foster parents, dude. Wow. I showed up at her house. Ask her next time. Ask her next time. I showed up at her house at 12 years old, driving my grandma's station wagon by my damn self, bro. I mean, that's how I was living. Wow. Right around here, bro. Right around here. What did she say to you? She literally took the keys and got her husband and drove me home. She said to my grandma, you know, he can't be driving. <laughs> like, she didn't trip out. She didn't call the cops. You know, nothing yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But um, Different time. Different time. That wouldn't happen today. No. So anyway, grandma gets sick, mom gets in the picture, goes to the hospital, makes her peace with my mom. My aunt Bobby, who, you know, was the one that was there, you know, has made peace with my mom too. Everybody's forgiven my mom because she comes and she's like a new, refound Christian, born again, whatever. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. And, and that's fine. And that's good. And I'm not going to, I'm not sitting here trying Were to- Were you a Christian growing up? And I'm sure we'll get into that, but like- uh, I, I was raised Catholic. Okay. But then, uh, kind of by we, your grandmother, yeah. But then we right. stopped going to church, and then I ended up starting to go to this Methodist church, which actually is like a save all. It, it's a God thing for me. I'm totally a believer, one hundred percent. Yeah, we'll get into that. But yeah. you were you were saying uh, your mother was trying to get back into your life as your grandmother was dying. She's a born again Christian. Yep. And um, grandma dies. Um, I'm what year is this? This is two thousand and three. Okay. Two thousand and four. Excuse me. Yeah, 2000. No, 2000, 2004, yeah, because I'm just getting ready to go into high school. I'm supposed to be in eighth grade at this point. You got to think I'm still a dropped out kid. And um, <clears throat> grandma dies. Still have no idea what's going to happen with me. Where am I going? You know, where am I going to live with? Who am I going to live with? Yeah. And uh, I asked my Aunt Bobby if it's an option to stay with her. She says, no, we think the best thing for you to do is go live with your mom. Uh, You know. This is the first time I've met in my entire life. You know what I'm saying? And I can remember as, you know, 
as a 14-year-old kid. I was 13 at the time, getting ready to turn 14. I was just like, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you no. Know, it, it's not going to happen. I'm not doing that. I will roll my dice and see how the foster care, you know. So legally, how does that work, though? Like, who, like, your grandmother dies. Who gets custody of you legally? Who makes that call? Well, I was technically a ward of the state, you know what I mean? Okay. But um, I ended up having to do, like, you know, a little little like group home stuff but i was lucky because i didn't have to stay in that because i had foster parents at the people i knew from the church so the first people i stayed with was like a long-term like situation miss lee that lady i told you about yeah yeah, yeah. and i stayed with them and i they got me really on board and on track you know and they're really really active family like they were always outside shooting hoops and playing Foursquare and like going on runs and bike rides and like crazy active. One TV in the house. And the reason why was because they said, if you're going to watch TV, it'll be in here with everybody. Yeah. That's family time. The rest of the time we're playing board games, swimming in the pool, volleyball, hide and seek, going to church, like all that stuff. You know Perfect. What I mean? Yeah. Um, she, they were the first ones that made me go on a trip to uh, church camp and I had a freaking absolute blast. You know what I'm saying? And then they were like, you're going to go on this trip to Wisconsin with us for like a month. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not going up to Wisconsin, bro. And I fought tooth and nail. That was one of the best trips of my life, bro. Like just was a road trip up there the whole time. Like you're going and seeing big America all the way up to Wisconsin, which is a crazy place. I don't know if you've ever been. I've never been though. But yeah, there, I mean, summer in Wisconsin, you're talking about nights. It's still like 34 to 40 degrees, you know, cold up there. Yeah. Wildlife. You know, I'm the only brown man in miles. We're talking about northern Wisconsin. Bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're Canadians, eh? Blue blue eyes, blonde hair. Though, yeah, it was a good summer, man. It was fun and it was awesome. But dude, when I got back, um, I just kind of let some like you know the things that I had always kind of let get in my way, get in my way of being a good kid, not listening, lying yeah. was a big thing. I used to lie a lot because it was kind of like a sense of like I had to lie to get away with things or yeah, yeah, yeah. make things happen. Here's the God's honest truth. Got caught looking at the stepdad, foster dad, foster dad's computer, porn on it a bunch of times. They're like, finally enough's enough. You know, you're about to be out of here. I was like, well, what, well, were they mad because you were looking at porn or because you were exposing the dad for looking at porn? No. Oh, oh you were looking at porn on the foster dad's laptop. Yeah. Well, no laptop, like his freaking like home office. You know what I'm saying? Like okay. going in there and just like, yeah, yeah, not doing the right thing, you know, sneak in, grab a couple of rubber bands, maybe a, maybe a thumbtack and watch some porn. Yeah. That's it, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that, that, that was all it was a couple of rubber bands and a thumbtack. Every now and again, we'll get like a little straw, but that's something different. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, okay. This is back before paper straws too. So you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They effective. didn't care about the turtles back then. <laughs> Those turtles, dude. <laughs> okay, so yeah, you're kind of getting back into it, and you got kicked out of your first foster home. Yeah, for a combination of things. It wasn't just for that. That was kind of like the needle that broke the camel's back. And this is in 2004. It was the paper straw that broke the camel's back. Paper straws, dude. And it's a yeah. It's 2004. This is during all the hurricanes. Four hurricanes just wham, bam, beam, bow, just trash Central Florida. Was that that wasn't Katrina year, was it? No. Or was that Matthew? No, no, no. That was know. like Gene. So there's like so Charlie. It was Charlie. Charlie, okay. That was the year of Charlie. So there was like four storms anyway. I said, am I going to go to a group home or am I going to go to somewhere else? We're not sure yet. Mm-hmm. We're going to figure that out. 
And it just so happened I ended up getting to go stay with my friends that were, you know, in North Lakeland that I've known from church, another family like that. And they decided that instead of just being a long-term placement, they were going to go through the whole shebang to become foster parents. Because in Florida, if you're a foster parent and you're fostering a kid, that kid can get free college vouchers and assistance whenever they graduate high school. They were really, they did a really good thing. But you got to just think about taking in a teenage kid that's never had any rules, any parameters, you know what I'm saying? Just how much do, they, do these people learn about you before you, before they take you in? Uh, they knew me as friends, you know, I stayed, oh, so, okay, okay. I stayed the night at their house, you know what I'm saying? Things like that. So like, I wasn't like a complete stranger. They mm. weren't complete strangers to me. Like they were, they were friends. Yeah. And who oversees the whole foster situation? Cause I, I know, I know it's not like, you know, Hey, we can't take this kid here. Take him. you know? Yeah. Uh, you have, how do they how you do they know you, you, have, you are a free agent? You have <laughs> you have a social worker that is the they're the liaison between you and the state of Florida. Because yeah, you're okay. a ward of the state. So your social worker is your liaison. And it's in my opinion a completely botched, terrible system. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's uh, there's a lot of kids that are getting gross injustices and families and you know what I'm saying? It sucks. You want to see kids with their biological parents but right. sometimes biological parents do suck you know what i mean yep for um, sure my foster families like i said i got blessed bro I, it could have been so much worse for me so you know i kind of was typical arrogant teenage kid that wasn't grateful for anything yeah and the one thing about this family though they taught me hard work they owned a bunch of rental properties and i'd be out there helping them do all sorts of like random jobs, collecting trash. Bro, I cut all the grass. I washed the cars. I vacuumed. I mopped. I made my bed every single day because that was their expectation, you know? And I felt like it wasn't like fair because it wasn't like for the whole family. But I feel like they felt they needed to be extra hard on me because I need that discipline, which they were right. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? The hard work thing that they, you know, had me do ended up paying off in my favor later on in life because I've always been a hard worker. Mm-hmm try to be the best at whatever excel at it. you know what i'm saying even if i'm not the best that's okay i'll work as hard as i can yeah and how um, long were you with them the last uh from f like 15 and a half like two and a half years probably okay close whenever i was 17 i was like running away and like yeah away and just being and at that point at that point do you are you basically an adult yeah yeah and then you they, this they, you the just, social worker is just like bye yeah, they, they prep you, and then, okay, so here's the thing. Like, whenever I'm there at their house, like, I'm living. They're taking me to school. I'm not allowed to have a driver's license, none of this stuff. Like, you know, don't have a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm doing everything I can to create my own freedom. I'm in school. I'm playing football. I'm doing other sports to try to stay busy. I'm in TV. I'm doing drama. I'm doing everything. I have a part-time job at Winn-Dixie. I have a part-time job in the summers at a farm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Const busy kid. Busy, busy, busy kid. But I bet you weren't getting into trouble. I was not getting into trouble. I was really on the straight and narrow. And at this point in my life, I had like completely said, I'm not going to ever drink. I'm never going to smoke. I'm not into that sort of thing. Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, you know, I think like back then, like, you know, 16-year-old Tony, if he could have seen, oh my gosh, if he could have seen 21-year-old Tony, you know, 20-year-old Tony, he'd been mm -hmm. heartbroken. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, wow, you fell so far off the... Yeah, but if you saw, you know, 34-year-old Tony... Yeah, he's like, no, it, yeah, all, it all worked yeah, out. Yeah, it all panned out. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so you're 17 now and you're basically on your own. What are you doing now? Uh, I think those are fighter jets. Nothing else is that loud. Oh, yeah. Because they got the, for those watching, hearing airplane noises, those are probably fighter jets because we have an air show this weekend. It's like the second or third biggest air show in the country. Don't tell them because they'll Google where it's at. I know. Phone, I know. So. All right. It is. It is. But it is in the top ten air shows in the country. Top ten. <laughs> top ten. Um. Yeah. Anyway. So you're 17. What are you doing now? I'm okay. So I'm still playing football. I got a lot of good friends, and you know, I have the brotherhood of football. Yeah. And these are my brothers, and I'm closest with these guys. You know, what I'm saying we're training. You know, almost all year long. Uh, the quarterback at my house, his his family actually had like a family ranch. And they were on TV on like, you remember that Christian network? I don't know what the hell the name of it is. Was it, um, uh, was it like on regular cable? Yes. Was it EWTN? No. No, that's a Catholic network. But uh, that was always on cable. I remember that. I can't remember, but they had like this family ranch and they would take in kids that were troubled youth. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that needed some direction, especially in young adulthood. And I was almost going to stay there, but then I started kind of, like, running with the wrong crowd again. Got involved, like, you know, with kids that like to, you know, smoke pot and, you know, drink. And, you know, I remember the first time just drinking a lot of beers uh, at, like, you know, 17, 18. It felt really good. Mm -hmm. Really enjoyed that feeling, you know, the heat, the freaking not care, you know what I'm saying, in the world. Like, you know, obviously didn't know anything that was going on with it. It was just a fun time. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that and kind of started to pursue that and chase that instead of going to these people who ended up having a TV show, Family uh, Bullock Family Ranch. That was the name of it. Look it up. Okay. And you'll see. One of the kids uh, that went there, he, we played football with him in high school, Blau Pal, and he ended up playing for the Jets for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. So that, he's a big name. He's a cool guy. Did you play with Chico in high school? No. No, Chico's you guys a little younger. Okay, different. He played at a different school, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I just see him wearing the the yeah. attire. So. He coaches. Okay. All right. I didn't know that. Actually, I did know that now that you say it. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So you are uh, – you, you're – at this point, you're not in that foster. Where are you living? At this point? Yeah. Uh, I'm living between my friend TJ's camper and my friend Sean's parents' house and just – people's different people's houses and stuff like that so you're basically just bouncing pla from place to place yeah just like a transient freaking gypsy teenage kid and you know the p I'm, uh, so i'm a senior you know i'm 18 and i'm a senior and i graduated when i was 19 because like i said i got held back a year and uh people in the school knew it and you know they really rallied around me and people would help me out and stuff and i ended up having a girlfriend in high school lived with her family for a while which honestly looking back God bless those people because they opened their doors and they were looking out for me. But, you know, they they didn't put everybody in the house in a really good situation, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Not because me and, you know, their daughter or anything were, like, doing anything crazy or, or not. But it was just, uh, you know, you're not supposed to be 19 living with, like, you know, your boyfriend or girlfriend. Or, you know. Yeah, well, I, w I was living with Shana when I was 19. Yeah. Actually, that's not true. Uh, I was 20. But still pretty damn close. Yeah, but here's the parameters of living with them. Like, they had three little sisters, and I'm living in one of the little sisters' room that's across the hall from her room. And, uh, you know what I'm saying? When I could have just been living at my boy's house, having the time of my life, had my own bedroom, 
been going to New Orleans. His family was like from New Orleans, and mm-hmm. like they did a bunch of fun stuff. And like it, it could have just been better, but that's what I chose to do for the first little bit. Graduated high school, ended up going to the local community college. Decided to smoke pot every single day, and get drunk on the weekends. And I wasn't working a job because here's the kicker. Here's what I forgot to tell you. Whenever you get out of the foster care system as a foster kid and you transition out, as long as you have good grades, the state will cut you a check for like 800 bucks at the time. $892 a month is what I was getting. A month? Yes. And back then that was good money, right? I mean, for any 19, 20-year-old, that's good money. Well, 17-year-old at the time right. probably, right? And I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was 18 at this point. And I'm because uh, I had aged out. So when you're 18, you start getting kicked this check. I'm working a job at Win Dixie still. You know what I'm saying? And you're blowing it all on weed. Weed and McDonald's and <laughs> Jägermeister. <laughs> so uh, just so we don't get lost here, because um, we're going to get into like the whole weight loss thing. But um, were you like at this time, were you, were you always overweight? Uh, yeah, I was a big guy. Always. Okay. I've never, not since I was a little guy, was I a okay. little guy. Okay. Always struggled with weight. Okay. As a kid, middle school, they used to call me two-ton Tony. All right. So this isn't, it's not a new, it's not a new thing. You didn't like ma- gain a bunch of weight after you, you know, right. got out of high school I was in pretty good shape during football. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like 250, 240. And yeah. I carry that pretty well. You know, Offensive I'm, line? Defensive line. Okay. And, uh didn't play much i wasn't like a huge superstar or nothing like that. i was just on the team you know what i'm saying yeah having a good time with my brothers and you know practice was fun bro you know i remember being out there fighting you know talking trash you know playing cards having a good time yeah playing football i love playing high school sports oh yeah. it, was, it was it was the if there's one thing that i miss about uh yeah if there's one thing that i miss about being in school it is the locker room you know, the lo- that locker room environment. Oh, yeah. Because anytime you're physically active with people, you know, or you're, like, doing something that's, you know, pushing yourselves to a limit, bro, you gain some sort of sense of closeness with them that you don't gain with everybody else outside of that. Does that make sense? No, 100%. That's why, that's why the most, like, the closest bonds in the world are soldiers, you know? Guys who are in the military together. That's that's like a lifelong, you know, you, you're, you're, those are your brothers, yeah. you know? Because you and, guys got, you guys got pushed to the limit together. Exactly. You guys, you guys experience the most raw human form with each other. And that's why I think, you know, obviously we're big fans of first form. Um, and I think one of the things that they do really well <laughs> is they, uh, suffer together you know like they have a gym in their in their headquarters and you know they work out together they suffer together and that's it it strips away the the facade that so many people put up yeah um you know like we always we always cat we always want to present ourselves as a certain version of ourselves but when you're sweating and dying and you are you know your 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 weaknesses are exposed you know, like you can't lift the weight. You're not superhuman. You're not this perfect version of yourself that you try to make everyone think you are. And, you know, you screw something up and you, you know, you're failing and you're, you're swearing and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing yourself the rawest form. Exactly. And I think everyone intrinsically knows that it's there for everyone, you know, but 
you don't get to see it with so many people. And it's only when you're suffering together is that is that top layer of of ego stripped away. Yeah. And you start to see like, oh, you're a human too. And once you have that moment of like, okay, you you can you can bleed and I can bleed. We're both human. We both have flaws. We both have this. You have a much more real and raw, genuine connection to people. Yeah. And so, yeah. In the terms trenches, of, being in the trenches, man. All right, exactly. So being in a locker room to me was like, you know, one of the best experiences, both obviously because like <laughs> sitting down and talking shit is like, you know, one of the best, most fun activities that you can do. Great American pastime. All right, exactly. Uh, but it, it is that winning together and losing together and whenever on a team, especially like when you lose a big game by a really, you know, close margin and everyone's heartbroken it's like you experience that together yeah and everyone knows what everyone else is feeling mm-hmm. you know and you don't even have to say it it's like when you walk into a room after a big in the, in the locker room after a big loss and there, you could hear a pin drop you know it's like i remember those moments clear as day you know i play basketball so like let's say a game went into overtime and we lost by like you know one but one basket yeah it's like those are the moments where you could walk into the locker room hear a pin drop and like that strength that strengthens the bond big time. Oh yeah. You know. So, you know, I'm I'm big on, you know, if I were running a business with people in real life and, you know, I run a remote business, but make them suffer a little bit. Oh yeah, we'd be working out every single day, yeah. you know, struggling. The grinder. Yeah, cuz that's how you that's how you that's how you do it, man. That's how you build a team. That's how you build camaraderie. Um but anyway, back to your story. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm getting these these checks. Everything's good because I'm in high school. I'm getting good enough grades to get by. End up at the community college, smoking weed every day. Quit yeah. my job at Winn-Dixie. And they're like, they get my transcripts from the school. They're like, hey, if something doesn't change, you're going to lose this money. Okay. Oh, so they, they're looking at your college grades. Oh, yeah. Okay. Look- I thought it was just I thought it was just high school. No, no they're looking at your college grades. Not oh, so they're, they're giving you $892 a month. Yep. While you're in school. Yeah, and he, okay. the, and a free voucher. Here's your free voucher. Go to any state college you want. Here's all you need. Give that. Give this to the cashier. This will get you in. Do you need help with books? We can help you do that, too. You know what I'm saying? They're giving you the hookup. Yeah. So your struggle, you know, it was sad. You're a foster kid. Life's not good. You're a ward of the state. We'll make it up to you a little bit. Yeah. Here's some free school and some yeah. free money. But they don't really tell you how to manage this money. Right. So you're a young kid just running through it's it. It's kind of like being an athlete. Yeah, 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 on a much smaller, you know, scale. But yeah, it's just a lot more easy to blow that money. Yeah. Uh, anyway, fast forward. Decided I'm gonna change everything. I had some friends that started going up to Florida State, the college. I wanted to change my, you know, I've always lived Central Florida, besides Miami, that I don't remember because I was a yeah, small yeah. kid. You just wanted to change the scenery. Yeah, so I wanted to go up to Tallahassee. Went up for a summer, saw how the party lifestyle was. It was a fun time. And I figured I could go up there to the community college up there and kind of get my grades straightened up. Got my own place. It was like the first time I was like being a grown up. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But I'm also living off the government's money <laughs> at this point. So how grown up are you? I don't know. Yeah. That's a different debate for a different time. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm up there. I'm doing okay in school. And my birthday comes, which just passed. It was March. So it was spring break. And just the freaking wheels fell off man i was partying hard bro you know what i'm saying just stopped going to class stopped giving a shit so the state you know cut you off for summer well now i have all this rent due 
you know, I can't eat. I can't do anything. So now it's time to be a grown up. Now it's time to probably go get a job or something. Or, you know, I met this drug dealer who said, hey, come start doing some little flips for me and, you know, you can make some money. So long story short, I started hustling and, you know, selling what? Selling weed at first. Okay. Lots of weed, a little bit of Xanax, and then got into ecstasy. And then cocaine is where, you know, that was where the money was made. Yeah. And doing like stupid robberies. Like, you know, people in college towns, those kids are there usually living off mom and dad's teat. And they're stupid. And they're really, really easy to prey on mm -hmm. if you're a dog or an animal. You know what I'm saying? So it wouldn't be hard to take advantage of these kids and, you know, take their money and get in their house and steal their shit. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just kind of be a little bit tough guy to them and they wouldn't do anything. They would fold, you know? So <clears throat> I did this for like, you know, probably like, I'd say a year to like 18 months of that. And in 2010, I had this encounter with law enforcement, you know, down here visiting, got arrested for the first time as an adult, had these charges down here I wasn't really wanting to face, went up there in Tallahassee, got in a little trouble, got my, got my cage rattled, ended up coming back home, going to jail <laughs> for literally like simple possession, yeah. but wanting to dip out on court and not go and, you know, spend like seven and a half months in jail and you know that was all fine no problem like it wasn't a big deal like it's not like it is like it's not prison or nothing like that it's not there's nothing crazy about you're that. not prison tony yeah not prison tony <laughs> there's no crazy radical change that happens in this time it's just time that passes in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah you know what i'm saying there were some books read there were some letters sent you know some push-ups got done bro i think a i few. came out of jail probably fatter than whenever i went in because i was so sedentary you know what i mean yeah. Like, you're not playing basketball every day and lifting weights with the boys. Right, <laughs> it's right. Not no, like, it's you know, not that. It's not prison, bro. It's it's county jail. And um, I get out, and this is the first time I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm here in Central Florida. I don't know what to do. So my friend hooks me up with a job at Bob Evans serving tables. Horrible and, food. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible <laughs> food, bro. Horrible place to work. Horrible employees, like terrible, terrible. It's all terrible, bro. Yeah. And I'm living with his uncle. And, you know, his uncle had a little bit of criminal background I knew about. And I didn't really think anything of it. He was, you know, big, huge meth distributor down here. Did like 10 years in prison. He was a manager at this Bob Evans. Okay. Yeah. This is who is fit to run the Bob Evans. Uh-huh. And um, I'm living with him, paying like 500 bucks a month rent. That's everything. And, you know, I'm saying doing all right. I got a moped at this point. Like I'm for the first time like building legitimately. Yep. And uh, he's always telling me about like meth and stuff. And one day he says, uh, you know, meth is so good, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, cocaine's really the, you know, this is the drug of choice here. And he's like, meth is like cocaine to the hundredth power. So anyway, this is how this happened. In my life, this is how I got introduced to methamphetamine. It's a 5 a.m. and I had just been at the casino for a very long time, partying the night before. Hard rock? Yeah, yeah, getting it in. And um, I get a call from my manager at the Bob Evans. He says, hey, can you come open? And I live like five minutes. They know I live with the manager. Can you come open? Mm -hmm. Because our opener called out. She's sick. And I'm like, ah, I really need the money. Yeah, I'll get dressed. I'll come in there. Well, Duck is what I'll call this guy. He's still up. And he ends up, um, you know, he's doing meth there on the couch. And I said, well, let me hit it. 
you know what I'm saying? Because I need some energy, and you've always told me this can give me like big energy. It's like a energy drink to the super power. cocaine. Yeah, super cocaine. And uh, he's got like this little pill bottle, meth bong rigged up, Jerry rigged. This is some, some MacGyver some shit. Some Jesse Pinkman shit. Some Jesse, some real meth head stuff, bro. And bro, like he lights it and he's holding it for me like I'm a baby. And like <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm thinking it's going to be rough, bro. This was easier than taking a deep breath of oxygen. Like easy and <sighs> And this huge cloud, like you know the douchers that like vape and like, yeah. like smog everybody out. Like this is, yeah, the, <laughs> this is the cloud that comes out, bro. And I feel this rush, and I'm like, like let's go. You know what I'm saying? I'm ready. And I'm like, so I hit it a couple more times, and it was fine. And I went to work, and I had the best, most productive day of all time. I was in a good mood. I was talking to the customers. I was doing the side work. I was doing extra above and beyond. You know, uh, just a perfect, like, person. Very easy to justify. Very easy to justify. And <laughs> here, here's where it, where it gets a little slippery. We get home. And I'm like, I'd like to do a little bit more of that meth. We do it. And this is like, you know, 8 p.m. at this point. So I've worked like 13 hours. And I hit that. And we got a ping pong table at the house. But we played ping pong until the sun came up. I started hearing the birds chirping and shit. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not even tired. And bro, this went on for this like for weeks. So I'm probably like two or three weeks in this thing. I'm not sleeping very good. I was going to say, how much sleep are you getting? Not very much. I'm losing weight. And like, I don't know if whenever you get tired, you see, I call them sleep spiders. Like just little like imperfections in like the corner of your eye you see. And you're like, oh shit. I'm seeing like mad bugs and shit. Like losing my perception of reality. And I'm over there making salads at the Bob Evans, and I'm sweating in the salad container. And people are seeing me, bro. I don't look good at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I remember going over to this table, and it's his dad and his kids, and he's trying to order, and he's talking, and I have, like, an outer body experience, bro. And I feel like I'm about to freaking die, dude. Like, my chest is on fire. So I go out back, and I tell them, you know what I'm saying, hey, there's something wrong, blah, blah, blah. And long story short, one of my neighbors ended up taking me to the hospital. And the doctor comes in there after they ran all the blood work and everything. And he's pissed. He's living. He says, I'm going to tell you what's up. You're coming down off the meth that you're doing. Wasting our time here at the hospital. We're trying to help people that are actually sick. And you're just coming down off the meth. You know, here, here's, my, uh, here's my prognosis. Here's what you ought to do. Here's my prescription. Quit doing meth or go get some more so you can stop coming down. You know? How did you? How do they know? Is that something that comes up in a blood test? Oh yeah, they test you for everything. You know, whenever you're coming in there, you're 21, 22 years old. You don't know that. And you got freaking heart palpitations. They're like, "What's this kid on?" You know what I'm saying? That's the first thing everybody's thinking of. You know what yeah. I mean? If you have a heart problem, like people are thinking you're doing drugs or there's something. Not these days. Yeah, not these days, dude. There's something else. <laughs> <laughs> there's something else they think. You know? Yeah. But um. Anyway, so that's my first encounter with that. I came down, was asleep for like four or five days, bro. Like, literally this chick would come by. She'd bring me food. Like, I would like wake up. Like, had all this time off. Went back to work there. Started doing the same stuff again, bro. The only thing, this dude started getting sick this time, bro. And he was a diabetic too. Mm -hmm. And he like went into a diabetic coma because he stopped eating. And like, he almost died. And we lost that place. So I'm homeless at this point. And I'm living on some people's couches, but I'm also a thief and a liar. You know what I'm saying? So I'm helping some of these little dope boys and some of my friends, you know what I'm saying? I've known from school and shit. 
you know, sell their little dime bags and, you know, have a place to stay and some food to eat and booze to drink and, sm- and pot to smoke. And I'm still doing this dope. And I stole from this guy and it was like the last straw. He's like, get out. So I'm staying behind the Sunoco that's right down the street from here. You know what I mean? I'm staying at the Paddock Club, which is not far. You know, I'm taking a shower at the Paddock Club pool. This is how I'm living, bro, out of a bag. And, you know. Where do you sleep behind the Sunoco? Right behind the dumpsters. I had some cardboard I'd lay out, you know. I had a buddy who would let me sleep in his car. I'd get to sneak in and out of his parents' house. His dad caught me sneaking out the window. Now, my buddy was like, you know, he was struggling real bad with alcohol abuse. So he didn't know the struggles I was having. And at this point, you know, the meth wasn't even really an issue. You know what I'm saying? Because I couldn't afford it. I was broke. I didn't have a job. I was just living. And, um, you know, uh, basically, I ended up just getting real with myself, you know? Mm -hmm. Something had to change. So I checked myself into a detox, and I got cleaned up, and I started making some different decisions. And I was going to go back to Tallahassee and try that again, but I was like, that's probably a bad choice. And this lady invited me on this missions trip, a little inner-city missions trip. And I was like, you know, I don't really think I'm the type of person you want me to go do this. She said, no, you're the perfect type. You know, the kids will love you. You know, come help us with this. You'll have a place to stay. You're just out of jail. You're homeless. You don't have anywhere to shower. What's the worst? So I'm like, okay, you had me at a place to shower. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going on this trip. I'm helping, you know, these people out of this church and stuff, this inner city stuff, doing like a little ministry. And uh, life gets radically changed. And I just want to do better. You know what I'm saying? I know like, hey, I'm not going to do this street stuff anymore. End up getting out of there. Go back. Get a job at Outback Steakhouse. Bus boy. Fry cook. Dishwasher. I'm doing everything I can to make an honest buck at this point. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing all the right stuff. I got this little house I saved up for. Um, I got arrested one other time in between there for something stupid. I can't remember. Like like, uh, public intoxication and resisting without violence. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So just real minor stuff that I had to pay some court fines and things for. And um, anyway, I'm in this house. My sister had just robbed these cops. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. She goes and she's in this neighborhood and she's pulling on door handles and she uh, finds an AR-15, a shotgun, pistols, ballistics vest, all this stuff, her and these guys. And uh, they end up bringing it back to my house. And I thought it was like props or something at first. I was like, there's no way, bro. They bring all these guns and stuff in the house and I'm losing. I'm like, what is going on right now? So I get all these guns cleaned up. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, you're going to get in big trouble for this. You know what I'm saying? It was Mother's Day weekend. And I said, there will be a SWAT team that comes here on Monday as soon as the judge signs off on the search warrant. Because there's too many people that know about this. They're not going to shut their mouths. Mm-hmm. Sure thing. Monday, they came, kicked that door open with a search warrant. Got all them out of my house. I wasn't staying there because I was staying with this chick at the time. And uh, they came to Outback, got me, put me in the questioning room, you know, interrogation room. Said that all the friends rolled, blah, blah, blah. They knew it was my guns. I was like, you know, do you guys have any DNA evidence? Do you have any evidence? Am I under arrest? Am I free to go? Yes, was the answer because they didn't have anything. I didn't do anything. I literally was not guilty of this crime. Right. Um, I was just guilty of living there and, you know, I guess harboring them kind of at the time. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, that next summer comes, that same organization that has the mission strip, you know, has one that happens to be in Winter Haven, which is uh, not far from where I live at the time. And I was like, okay. So I go over there, 
and uh, I'm staying at this house, I'm staying at this place, at this church, this parsonage, and end up getting an opportunity to have an internship over there. And there's a big plus. There's a really, really cute chick, and she's brunette. And she, the first time I seen her, she's wearing like a tube top and a jean skirt. She's now my wife, you know what I'm saying, of 10 years. But this is the first time I've seen her. And, you know, I'm trying to get close to her over this time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're friends. So this is a big turning point in my life. I'm deciding, hey, I'm not going to be a part of this old life anymore. I'm completely cutting ties from my past. Yep. And I'm going to start over in a new city. And it went really good. And there was a lot of learning opportunities, you know what I'm saying? There were still times I messed up, but those people had grace for me, and they let me slide. Um, me and Lindsay at the time were just friends for a long time. And then we ended up starting dating probably like after six or seven months of knowing each other. And um, fast forward, you know, fast forward a year and a half, she gets pregnant out of wedlock. I'm still broke. Staying on a friend's couch. This is a this is a pattern. You hear this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Broke, living on a friend's couch at his parents' house. God bless him. They hooked it up. They actually had the reception. We had a reception in front of the garage in a driveway. Um, we had a very small wedding at the church. And you know what I'm saying? Is that the same church you go to now? Or is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it was just like, you know what I'm saying? It, it was crazy. But we got married, didn't have anything. And, bro, at first I was a really terrible husband. Um, Lindsay ended up having our son two months premature. And uh, he spent, you know, about two months of his life in the hospital, in the NICU at the time. Because that wasn't like, it's not like it is now. If you have a kid two months early, it's not a big deal these days. You know what I'm saying? But back then it was still kind of a big deal. My son's 10 now. Or about to be 10 in July. And, um... We're going through it, hard times. I'm not really, like, super employed. I'm, like, a prep cook at Outback and working on a food truck. Like, I'm not aspiring to do anything. I don't have any aspirations. And uh, I remember there was a day that me and Lindsay were on our way. I was going to take her to work because she was working at the daycare that my kid went to. Mm -hmm. And we were fighting about money something. And she said, uh, well... If maybe if you would decide to work a little harder, then I wouldn't have to be here with Dominic and working this job and we'd have not have all this stress and be living at my mom's. And bro, those words lit a fire under me. I like can re- you, I can relate. Yeah. Like you'd never seen, bro. And it was just crazy. Went, had a moped, bought a moped again, got a job back at that Bob Evans again, serving tables. Okay, I'm riding thirty minutes back and forth. End up getting our first small duplex. You know what I'm saying? This is all off the sweat of my brow. I'm cutting grass. I'm doing side jobs. I'm doing anything to earn a dollar. I get back into bartending. You know what I'm saying? So fast forward, we're living in this duplex. I have my second son. It's 2015. Turns into 2016. I get this job as uh, as a medical rep uh, for a medical correspondence company. And I end up becoming the vice president. The South Regional not the vice president, the South regional uh, manager mm-hmm. of the, of the, you know what I'm saying? Which is like fourth up the totem pole. It's not a huge company. And I'm making good money at the time, making like 30 grand, which at the time I was like, oh my gosh, 30 grand. This, right, is, right, this right. is great. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we live in the duplex. Life is good, but I'm not satisfied. I'm just like, I want more. So I leave there and start bartending and I'm getting ready to like try to be a firefighter or something. And I have a friend tell me, hey, I'm about to do this job. It's with logistics. 
And he explains it to me, and I kind of think it's like a pyramid scheme. Right, right, right. And I'm just like, uh, I don't, I don't know, bro. I'm cutting grass, I'm bartending, I'm doing side jobs. I don't know if I can take on anything else. Well, he goes and he starts telling me about it, and then I look into it. And I'm like, this is a real career. Mm-hmm. So he hooks me up with an interview with the guy, and uh, I go into the guy's office, and I'm in my lawn equipment, bro. I'm decked out, straw hat, overalls, smell like fuel, and grass, dude. Before I'm going to cut, before I'm going to bartend, and he, I'm in there interviewing with the guy, and he says, "Why should I give you this job?" And I said, "Because nobody wants the American dream more than me." I said, "I want the big white house with the picket fence, and the Labrador, with the American drop. flag, yeah, mic drop." <laughs> so he says, "All right, we'll hire you, but we'll give you a draw so you don't have to keep working that job." I said, "Here's the thing, I don't want any of your money. I don't want your draw. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, but give me ninety days." Either I sink or swim, I'll keep the job working at out back as a bartender, and we'll see what happens. I'm grinding at this point. I'm waking up at 6 a.m., you know what I'm saying, doing a little workout, getting to the office by 7, 7.30. What year are we talking now? This is 2016. This is September 2016. I'm making my cold calls from 7.30, you know, to, to 4.30. I'm not going to lunch. You know, these folks are going to lunch. They're already, a lot of them are already making money. There's some people that are like me, but bro, I'm calling, 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 trying to cultivate some business. Just some chance of something. End up start getting some customers, bro. Start doing really well in it and start really cruising and crushing. You know, but I'm still bartending, bro. I'm telling you like 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks, bro. For a long time, I would leave there at 4.30 p.m. to get to the house by 5 to change, to get on my moped and cruise out to North Lakeland or wherever I was at the time. Or even like, dude, I would be all sorts all over the place, bro, working all these like, you know, bartending jobs, bro. And it would just be, you know, wild, bro, long hours. And finally, I, you know, got successful enough that I could leave. And it felt good. I got my first you know, I didn't own it, but I rented this big white house with literally a white picket fence and I put an American flag on it because I said that's what I wanted, you know, and it felt good. And I, that was my first taste of success. Um, this whole time I'm dealing with a demon. It's not meth. It's not cocaine. It's just my drinking. You know, every now and again, we'll get out of hand and my wife can attribute to it the best. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of like. I used to call it the creature, you know what I'm saying? Once the creature gets into you, you turn from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You just don't know. And, uh, I mean, I don't think you've ever seen me, you know, inebriate. I've known you almost three years, right? Yeah, I'm, I I haven't seen it. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, I'm having time off for the first time, a lot of downtime. So I start drinking a lot more. And, you know, my wife doesn't really care too much of the time. This is 2018. We have two sons. Our life is really good. She's not working. You know, everything's like really going perfectly. We're going on vacation after vacation. I'm spending money. Then I start to end up, you know, uh, started dabbling a little bit of cocaine. And I had never done this when I had had money. I'd never had money. So now I can do all these things I want at a disgusting rate. You know, the acceleration on this just went from zero to 100. Mm Mm-hmm. Real quick. And um, just a party animal, dude. And you got to think, you know, when I was, when it was 2018, I was 29. 
So when you started doing cocaine, was that something that you did just in like a party atmosphere or was it like uh, to, to increase your work or was it, how were you using it? It was a party thing. Just a party thing. Okay. You know, it wasn't like, I wasn't busting out lines there at my desk to like, you know. Yeah, no. Well, sometimes, you know, I'd go do a liquid lunch and like, you know, bro, I'd start drinking at noon, 1130 and you know what I'm saying? Have a three hour lunch at the bar and $120 bar tab. And then go back to the office for like an hour and then leave the office and people would go home usually. But it's, that, me, it's that new Tony mixed with that old Tony. Yeah, new Tony mixed with old Tony. And I would go back to the bar after 4 p.m. And I'd keep drinking. And I'd need to get a little, you know, cocaine so I'd keep on partying. And you know, it makes you like you're new, bro. And you're sitting here gambling like a degenerate, not spending time with my kids and my wife neglecting them for the first time in my in my existence as a family man as a father i have the opportunity to not just provide for them financially but also be there for them and present with them mm-hmm. and i'm choosing the funny thing is we're a five minute walk from the bars i'm choosing to be 500 yards in the wrong direction on a strip where i think all these people love me and care about me and have this camaraderie but really you know, there's nothing bad at the people at the bar. I'm not here to bash people that go to the bar, bro. But just think about when the people ch- that you think you're close with at the bar. You're not close with them in real life. Right. When you're when you're choosing it over your family, that's a that's a whole different scenario, you know? It's one thing if you were going on the weekend, spend after spending time with you like whatever, you know, but when you're when you're like you said, finally having the opportunity to be the husband and father that you want to be and then you choose not to be i imagine now looking back you're fucking pissed at yourself disgusted with myself wishing I, I, Rob, could... I have my youngest son now who's three and i always say to my wife i'm like it's crazy because giovanni has the best version of both of us as parents but really of me yeah because i'm here all mm-hmm. the time, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't really leave the house except to go to the gym, to maybe a podcast. the office, to a podcast, come here and spar with you sometimes, and golf. I, I rarely do anything else without my family. It's just not how... For a long time, I used to think it was okay, and you deserve this, and it's okay to have some time. And sure, that is okay. It is all right to spend some time, but it's not okay to disappear for 16 hours on a cocaine bender and then be completely worthless the next day to your family and yourself and ruining your mental state and my health. I was 385 pounds doing six-inch rails. You know what I'm saying? Like, bro, there's a problem with that. 100%. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's one thing. Like you said, it's not bad taking time for yourself and taking time to go... You know, do things like if you wanted to go, if you wanted to take, you know, you and Steve and whoever and like go camping or something like that's, that's a productive, like decompressing, like man weekend. That's, that's one thing, but you're out there, you know, doing completely degenerate shit, you know, Uh, degenerate, bro. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like it it felt like, like literally, yeah, it was that for sure. Yeah. You know, and I'm living like that and Lindsay gets pregnant. And uh, we're getting ready to have a kid, you know. And uh, she's probably close to we're about to find out the gender of the baby. And she gets a car accident. We end up losing the baby. And this was where everything was boiling to. This is the boiling point. Where had I been being the father I needed to be? The strong leader in my house. The husband I was called to be. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just the, the man that every man is called to be would have been able to have navigated that situation with, you know, the right wisdom. Mm-hmm. 
but me who is still selfish, who's still in this hard time, you know, but still kind of really doing good on the surface level, just didn't know how to process it. So the partying was already at the level nine. We just boosted it to 12, bro. You know what I'm saying? We're going even harder now. It's crazy. Me and Lindsay's marriage is almost falling to shambles. You know, she's very aware that, like, I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, here's the thing, bro. Like, meth is, like, viewed everywhere around the world, like, as a very, very bad thing. And, you know, I was a felon in Tallahassee, you know. And, yeah, those charges got, you know, dropped, whatever. And I only served time here in the county. But, you know, those things, like, I'm more mad at myself for the things I did in 2018 as a father. Oh yeah, when I was young. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like you can forgive yourself for being an idiot when you're in your early 20s and you don't have responsibilities or anything like that. You can look back and say to yourself, "I was just a stupid kid," you know. But when it, when you have kids, and obviously I don't, so I'm not. But I can imagine like, um, you don't get that time back, you know? Right. Like you have, you know, once your kids are out of the house and you know, you know, and you want to go not do math, but you know, take that time for yourself and be a little bit more selfish, then yeah. you have the rest of your life to do that, you know? But you only get that time with your kids and to have those moments once. Exactly, dude. And, and as a dad, you you don't, you no longer have the freaking, you know what I'm saying? The option, bro. You shouldn't have the option. Your mm-hmm. kids and wife should be, you know, the most important things that you got going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you're selling into them the most. They see you the most, bro. Like, I'm so lucky my kids were small. At that point, they don't really remember that version of me. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Thank God. Imagine if they were, like, your age, you know, when... Oh, yeah, bro. When you were... Uh, they, not not your age being 34, but your age, I'm thinking, like, 11, 12, 13, you know? That age, and you're out doing cocaine, you know? They don't have a yeah. much different idea of who you are. Out doing that, driving drunk, yeah. driving with blow. Bro, you know, one thing, one wrong turn, one DUI... You know, hit somebody, killed myself, overdosed, anything. Could have right. drastically just changed the entire, you know, future for them. 100%. That's selfish of me. That's nobody else's problem. You know yep. what I'm saying? That's your. That's a you problem. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, bro, you know, you're fucking up. Mm-hmm. You're not doing the right thing. Grow up. Be a man. And at what point did you have that moment with yourself? Oh, bro, that's, that's, that's where it, in 2019... Business wasn't good. It was down big time. I had already spent all my savings because I was on vacation. I was doing blow. We were doing this. Me and Lindsay were in marriage counseling. We, you know, we ended up deciding to work our marriage out. And she didn't leave me. She had every right to, bro. Mm-hmm. I was a scumbag. And, you know, there's still a lot of things that I feel guilt for to this day, bro. But she's forgiven me. And God bless her. You know what I'm saying? But what I'm trying to say is uh, in 2019, business wasn't that good. I couldn't support the lifestyle I had lived the year before. I couldn't make up with my bills. I had a, I fell, I hit rock bottom. Again. Yeah. Well, that that's something you don't think about when you're doing something like what you were doing at the time. You know, it's not like you're getting handed a check every week from, you know, whatever medical company you were at before. You know, you're not getting, you know, a thousand dollars a week salary. Right. You know, in a business like that, you know, you were basically doing sales. You know, and. uh that's one of those jobs where if you have money, keep it. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you make. It matters what you save. Right. Exactly. Because you just don't know. Right. You don't know if the whole thing's going to fall apart. The person you're working with dies, retires, you know, that company closes. Like, bro, it's yep. just like you don't know. It's a roll of the dice. Yep. You know, whenever you're a salesman and you're in a commissions-only position, you literally eat what you kill. 
Yep. That's it. So I didn't, I didn't, and you call that financial growing pains, I think a little bit. Yeah. You know, you go from making such little money to making a lot of money. You're like, oh my God, it's going to be like this forever. And then you're like, oh man, there's bad years too. Right. And you have to prepare for them in the good times. Yeah. Because if you don't, then you're just, you know, you're in shit luck. So it's 2019. I'm out of the big white house with the American flag and the picket fence and the dog. I'm back in my mother-in-law's house. Back to square one. Bro, feeling like huge failure. Okay. Starting to get my stuff back together. Starting to get back, you know. End up, you know, we do some good stuff. Buy our first house. In 2019, I remember my New Year's resolution. Like, I'm never going to drink again. I started this. I started this. (laughs) I started this WordPress and everything. It's called Whiskey and Warfare, Dad's Tale. It's out there. I have one book. I want to say I remember this. I feel like I knew about this. Well, like early on when we when I probably, we met. I probably talked to you about it, yeah. You probably, you either mentioned it or posted something about it, um, but that rings a bell. Yeah, so I was going to do this thing and kind of talk about like how to not drink and stuff like that, even though I had no clue. And, uh, you know what I'm saying, went through that, bought a house uh, in 2020, right before, you know, the world shut down. Mm-hmm. Right before everything got a little weird and crazy and they started saying that, you know, this stuff was going to kill everybody. Yeah. Um, bought a house. It was the perfect time. It was a God thing. And uh, I still really, bro, I was at the heaviest I had been still, you know what I'm saying, just walking around trying to do better. I wasn't doing blow like I had been. I still dabble here and there. And uh, it's summer 2026, June 26th, I want to say. It's summer 2020, June 26th. And uh, I have a friend that walks into a bar that I'm there and I'm getting plastered. And he's like, bro, you look terrible, bro. You're the biggest I've ever seen you. You got three sons at home. You need to start taking care of yourself. It's a good friend. Yeah, good friend. Calls you out. Calls it how it sees it. A lot of people don't want to do that. They want to save your feelings, bro. He said that. And uh, he was at the boxing gym. He had lost a bunch of weight. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, bro, yeah, I'm a little big, but I just look this way, but I can, you know, work out just as good as you can, which is every fat guy, big right. guy. I'm strong. I'm, I'm big boned. I'm big boned. Oh, <laughs> There's well, muscle underneath yeah, this. Yeah. Oh, I can lift like 350 pounds. Like, no, the hell you can't, bro. You know what I'm saying? And that's fine. And maybe you can, bro, but you can tell the type, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I wasn't the type. And I was drunk. And he said, well, come with me to the boxing gym today. And I was like, fine, I will. Kind of on a pride thing. And I went. I was drunk in there, and I'm sitting there hitting my jump ropes, and I can barely jump rope, dude. It was like the most humbling situation ever. I almost died in there. And uh, he was like, you going to join? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, I already paid for a month for you, so don't waste my money. That's a good friend. It's a good friend. So, I'll, blo- I'll, blo- I'll cut his name out. Who is it? Do I know him? No, John. Okay, he yeah. He owns four- the Italian chain down there. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, he ends up doing that. I didn't miss not one day that whole month that I could go to the gym. I was there every opportunity I had. And that was where I had started been following these, like, Instagram, you know, uh, profiles of, like, people who had lost weight. And I followed some guys that I really, like, you know, motivated me and I looked up to at the time. It was cool. And uh, I decided I'm going to make my own Instagram that kind of, you know, tracks my weight loss and my progress. And, bro, it was 2020. I went real hard with it. Fast forward three months, I found CrossFit, and it was the group camaraderie in CrossFit. That's where I met you. 
Yeah, it was like the locker room environment all over again. Just the locker room environment, dude. You know, being there at 4.30 a.m., lifting every weights day. every single day, Monday through Friday, you did not miss. 6 a.m. on Saturdays. 6 a.m. on Saturdays. Church on Sundays. Me- yeah, meeting. Do you remember meeting for sprints on Sundays? Hell yeah, Walks. Sunday sprints. Yeah, bro. Dude, we were killing it at the time. And that's where I started, like, you know, really losing weight. It was June 26, 2020 was the day I said I'm going to gain control of my physical health. It's kind of like the last big demon. The last you know? big demon, yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah, so weight loss. You started in 2020, and then, um, I don't know, just kind of talk about, like, what that journey was like mentally. Because uh, obviously we know how it goes physically, right? You you work out, you, you eat clean, like, that's... That's pretty straightforward. But mentally, as somebody who was at the time, what, 385 pounds? Yeah. What was that journey like, you know, going from somebody who could, you know, probably not even touch his own toes uh, to, you know, where you're at now? Like, right. what what was that mental journey like? Uh, it, it was humbling, to say the least at first. Very humbling. And then just a drive of... I don't I wouldn't say motivation but just wanting to be disciplined in every area of my life so I could gain control cuz I always felt like my life was kind of out of control and I was just allowing life to move me how I wanted it to and I got sick of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to leave my marriage up to fate. I didn't want to leave if my kids are going to have a good dad or not right, up right. to fate. If bad things are ha- going to happen, you want it to be your fault. Right. Or you die you rather you don't want it to be your fault. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, if I'm working out and I get hit by a truck running down the road, you know what I'm saying? You can't. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, bro? Right. You know what I mean? Some people are like, well, if you were never running, then you know what I'm saying? But who's to say, you know, you wouldn't have died of a heart attack if you weren't doing those things. You know right. what I'm saying? Right, yeah. Like, at least I'm trying. Like, my kids will never look and be like, oh, well, dad just didn't care about his health, so that's why he passed early. You know what I'm saying? My kids will never be able to say that, bro. Yep. You know, because... I'm not working out, I'm not eating right, I'm not restricting my nutrition, you know, to a certain degree because I want to look any certain way. I really don't give a shit. It's not, it it is a, it is obviously, you know, a plus. It's a pro to it, you know what I'm saying? It's it's a bonus, but for me, it's the mental clarity. It takes the guilt off of me of just not feeling like, you know, am I being the best dad I can be today? Right. You know? And I feel like in a lot of departments, yeah, I was the best dad I could be today. Yep. You know? So, 2021, do my first CrossFit competition, get third place, keep pushing, try for a 75 hard. Drinking's the hardest thing for me, bro. Yeah, so that was something that, honestly, like, I remember concerned me when we were doing 75 hard for the first time. Well, it wasn't my first time, but it was your first time. And we were all doing it together. You, me, Steve someone who will not be named Shayna. Um, and I think Kenny was doing it at the time too. And, you know, I think most of us completed, completed it. Kenny cheated a hundred percent. That motherfucker. You heard that Kenny. Yeah. Yeah. That dude, he ran a 10 mile run, right? Crazy, crazy accomplishment, right? Running 10 miles, but he would, he ran five miles Stretch for five minutes, and then the back five miles called it his second workout. That's not a second workout. That was the same workout. Yeah. Cause anyway, because it, it wasn't because it wasn't separated by enough times. What you're saying? Yeah, I mean it was the it's it was the same run. 
right. he would go on Facebook and say, and I'm and I'd say this to his face, but he, you know, he went on Facebook and say he ran ten miles. Well, if he ran, it was like, was it five and five or was it ten? You know what I mean? I get it. Anyway, uh, but yeah, so we were doing seventy five hard, and actually, did Steve finish that time? He did. Steve got to the smallest he had ever been, still to this day, when he was doing seventy five hard. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so, and then, I, do you remember what day it was? I think it was thirty something. I want to say right. I, I got to like thirty eight, or it was almost. It was almost forty days in that I, I literally I remember I went to my old boss's house. He didn't influence me at all. I just went over there with a case of beers, and it had been a long week, and I said I'm gonna drink. Yeah. And I cracked it. I drank and just kind of threw it out. Yep. Didn't really. Just said, fuck it. That's it, dude. And then kind of like, you know, didn't like, it was kind of just like not a demise to myself, but kind of was. So I'm going through this point. I had been with this company for five years, and it's a good company, honestly. There's a lot of good things, good 401K, good medical. The people that showed me to it, showed me around there. I'm still super thankful for them to this day because they showed me a way to create, you know, wealth. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? to create a stream of, of income that's been super fruitful for me and my family. So nothing about them, but just the environment of it being in downtown by the bars. You know, a lot of the people, you know, like to party in the office. I kind of just wanted to get away from that. And I wanted to do my own thing and just kind of be my own person. So I was deciding to leave the company and go to a competitor and try to pursue my real estate license. And uh, when I did, when I left, I ended up, busier than I'd ever been in my entire life with work and consumed by it and was absolutely crushing it. I don't know. When did you actually leave there? September. September 2021. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that long after we had left the gym. Well, not too long after that. And gotcha. Ended up deciding to leave there. Even though it was a big, it was a chance for me. I'd never, ever done anything like this. I was never at this point willing to gamble on myself. You know what I'm saying? Very timid on like making money. Thought I couldn't do it anymore. What did else. Lindsay think about that? Um, Lindsay wasn't a huge fan of where I was working because she thought that I was influenced by the people there. So she was fine. With, she, she had no reservations about you leaving there? Lindsay's never questioned it. She knows I'm a hustle and get it regardless. Yeah, you should, I mean, you know, you've pro- you'd proven that at that point. You I've know? proven it time and time and time again to her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, there's been times where she don't know how we're gonna make it work, but you know, if Dad says, "Hey, I got it," I might not even know, but I'm gonna make it work. Yeah, I mean, ninety percent of the time, you don't. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, but that, but that's a solid, that's a solid promise. If that, if Pop says he's got it, bro, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna figure. You're it gonna out. figure it out, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's something about that, about men that's that is so interesting that we'll just like say we'll figure it out i don't know you know like we we're fine with not knowing all the answers you know because we trust especially like you know you and me and you know some other people who have who have sort of built themselves up and made things out of thin air um you you know that if you can do it once you can do it again you know, I don't have any fear of losing it. Right, exactly. So when you put yourself in a scenario where, you know, people are probably saying, "What are you doing?" or you know, it's a it's a risk or whatever the case. It's like I've been in worse situations and figured it out. You know, absolutely. That that fear, I, I no longer have the fear because I know it's not what I'm doing. It's not who I'm doing it with. It's the the, the common denominator is me. Yeah, 
And yeah. you'll bet on that every day of the week. Bet on that every day of the week. You know what I'm saying? Awesome. I, I love that, and you know that's the result. But anyway, I get over to this new company now. I'm ferocious. I've I've really lost a lot of weight. I've lost probably 75 pounds at this point. I'm close to like 310 pounds, close to where I am right now. I think I'm like actually I'm lighter than that. I got down to 299 at one point, but it was like for a day or two. Yeah. And it's because I was dehydrated and starving yeah, yeah. myself and wasn't eating. Took a shit at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> well, after a run, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But uh I'd effectively lost, you know, 75, 80 pounds. And um now it was time to focus on finances. I wanted to get money big yep. time. So I kinda in twenty twenty one, towards the end of it, started veering off of those disciplines that I had. I was still in the gym, but not like I needed to be. I was still eating okay, but not like I needed to be. And you know that diet will expose you big time. Oh, yeah. You know, and drinking booze like I wasn't supposed to be. 2022 rolls around and kind of just a stagnant year for me physically. Financially, we're crushing it. You know what I'm saying? As a dad, as a husband, we're crushing it. Working from home was good for me. I'm bad, honestly, in a place where I'm able to be too social, because I'll sit here and I'll talk to you for I'll talk to you for hours. This camera don't have to be on. You know? <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, all right, bro, I gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, after we spar and stuff, because yeah. I can sit there and talk. Right, right, yeah. And chitty chat and chop it up, but um, I just I work better kind of in a smaller environment where I'm not distracted. Yep. People distract me. Yeah. And I love people, but you know, where in a time and place where it's appropriate. Yeah. And how was that? Uh, you know, because if you are somebody who gets distracted by people, how was it uh, being around your family? Well, kids are going to school probably, right? Yeah, the kids were in school. I had my own office that was kind of set off in the house, so it really wasn't a big deal. And this is uh, two months before 2021 ends. I convinced Big Steve, our friend, to come over, quit his job, and I'm like, bro, just come do what I'm doing. I'll help you make money. You know what I'm saying? You'll get to that next level in life. You know what I'm saying? You'll level up. He's like, I don't know, but I like make it too sweet for him. S- Steve's very reserved. He's very like. He's calculated. He's cautious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gives, he gives me very like risk averse vibes. Like he doesn't. Yeah. He's not the guy that's just going to be like, fuck it. You know, yeah. I'll figure it out. At least he, at least he used to be kind of, but like now he is like definitely, he bet on himself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's he got that attribute, you know what I'm saying? And it takes you just gotta you just gotta you just gotta have a moment where you're like, holy shit, I did it. Yeah. And then once you have that moment, it's like you feel almost invincible. Not invincible in the sense like you can't lose it, but invincible knowing that even if I do lose it, I'll fa- I'll, I'll I'll get back here. You know exactly. So and yeah, what was that like for him? Well, I bring him in, I train him for two months, and then he does a really good job while I'm training him. And I'm like, listen, dude. I wouldn't normally do this, but I want to offer you a partnership. And he takes it, and we run into 2022, and we're crushing 2022. We're the number one, you know, brokers in the nation for our company. You know what I'm saying? And this is a pretty big company. And uh, really, you know, did good thing, did good work. Our customers loved us. We provided good service for them. And, um, you know what I'm saying? But 2022 is coming to an end. I'm like 300 and, you know, 46 pounds at the end of the year right before this year started i'm like okay it's time to transition we're gonna just put you know the gas pedal we're gonna put both feet on the pedals of financial and physical and i want to get after this physical goal big time so i'm back up at 346 january 1 start the year and we're going we're crushing dude i'm 306 as of yesterday i don't know what i'm at today it's awesome do you feel like you still have a hard time 
putting it together, like putting together the financial, the career and the, the, the physical and the family, right? It's so much to balance. Do you feel like you still have a hard time putting it all together? Sometimes because there's only so many hours in a day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and sometimes. And when you're doing what Tony's doing, you know, like so many people use that as an excuse. Like, I don't have time. It's like when you have when you have kids work and you're you're doing your type of work, not like I work a nine to five, you know, like and you're trying to lose weight and, and you're training a lot. Yeah. You know, it's tough. It's tough to balance all that. Yeah. You know, I don't even have kids and I and I find myself like kind of like juggling, you know, like it's almost like trying to put three fires out at once. Like the minute you put one out. You know, the next one, the one next to it starts to grow bigger and then you put that one out and then, you know, so on and so forth. So I'm lucky I got a real supportive wife and Lindsay doesn't care what I'm doing whenever I'm like in the gym. You know, she knows that I'm bettering myself like, bro, like I try to purposefully surround myself around people that are better than me in avenues and things that I want to be better in, because if you do that. You know what I'm saying? It's like the old saying goes, you hang out with dogs, you can catch fleas, bro. The five people you spend the most time around with, you're going to be most likely them. You hang out with five smokers, you will be the sixth. 100%. You know? So choosing your friends wisely, who you're going to spend your time with, I mean, it's my time is my most precious commodity. You know, not that all the money in the world couldn't get a second back. You know, so it's just... You just, I'm very, very cautious with who I spend my time with. Yeah. These yeah. days. And I, f- I found that, you know, as you start to level up, it becomes harder to find the right people, you know? Um, it's hard to find people who get it, you know, who are trying to level up in that same way that, you know, don't, that, that you feel like you can look up to and also like uh be peers with at the same time you know what i mean yeah uh, absolutely because there's once you get to a certain point and i'm not saying like my cat's scratching at the door <laughs> uh w- once you get to a certain point of like discipline and focus and trying to be better and i guess the best way to say it is like the the less that you tolerate, the fewer people there are to hang out with. You know, when you stop tolerating drinking, that eliminates a whole slew of people. When you stop tolerating smoking weed, that el- eliminates a whole friend group. When you stop, uh, when you stop uh, tolerating uh, eating terrible food for you, you know, that eliminates a whole. You know, once you start eliminating these activities and these habits, the circle of people that you can hang out with gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And especially, obviously, the internet helps with that a ton. You can connect with people, and that's been great. But like, there's nothing like real, like real life connection yeah, and like real life interaction, right? So, you know, for me, like that's why it's so important to go do stuff like play basketball and um, you know jujitsu, which we got to get you at my gym. Yeah, I'd love to come. How cl- you're not that far away from it? No, no, no. If Real you're close. if you're if you're what a stone's throw away from the gym, you're like ten minutes away from my jujitsu gym. Probably less. Probably five. Yeah, I don't know why you're not going. Yeah, they got a kids class there. You can bring the kids. You get in and roll around, dude. Yeah, it's fun. Your garage is fun, but it's also fun being in a jujitsu gym. Well, yeah, and that's because I could I could do everything that I need to do in my garage, but 
going back to that whole locker room thing and being around people and, and putting yourself in the right environment, that just brings it to a whole nother level. You know, when you're around people who are, I mean, let's just use jujitsu as a, as a analogy. Like if you and me roll in our garage every single day, you know, you're a well white belt. I'm a white belt. We can only get so good. You know, yeah. you got to hang around purple belts and blue belts and, and, and black belts. Yeah. And so that's right. When yeah. it comes to, when it comes to all the different things that I like to do and all the th- different things that you like to do, it's hard to find those people. You know, it's hard to find a business person that you can, that you can be friends with and hang out with and learn from, uh, that, that is where you want to be. Yeah. You know, there's only so many of those people out there. That's why it's such a, that's why it's such a admirable and, and, uh, it's why it's a, that's, it's why most people aren't in the 1%. That's why it's the 1%, you know, right. there's not that many people out there. Yeah. So trying to find them can be challenging. Yeah. But if you're, if you're not in the pursuit of hanging with people that are better from you, that are going to expect things for you, that are going to call you to the carpet and hold you accountable when you're not doing the things you should be doing. You know, like if I'm your friend and I'm your true friend, but I see, I notice a trend that you're going out every single weekend and, you know, maybe you're not spending as much time around here and it's starting to cause some conflict in your marriage. Then I'm going to pull you aside and I'm going to say, bro, listen, I've been there. I've done that. Here's the problem. Those people at the bar that are your friends, your buddies, you're buying shots for, and they love you, and they call your name when they see you. Disappear from the bar for five nights. See if they call you. Disappear for five weeks. See if they call you. The main people in your life, in my life, are Lindsay and my three sons. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it's just like I live my life, and it's maybe almost like it's too much that I'm living my life like this, but I only live my life thinking of those four people. What would they think at the end of the day if I did this, this, or this? Yep. Would they approve? Would they think it's a bad idea? What are my kids going to say about me when they're growing up? What kind of dad are they going to think they had? You know what I'm saying? I didn't have an example of a father. So I'm trying to piece this thing together the best way I know how. You know what I'm saying? I know I'm not the perfect dad, but I don't think my kids will ever question, did dad love us to the best? And did he try? Yeah, and did he try? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. No, I totally agree. And yeah. that's something that's that's what it means to like really set your priorities and have them clear as day, you know. Uh And it sounds it sounds a little dark, bro, but I, I always think like back to when I was partying like, you know, whenever you die, whenever I die, people will be sad. They'll come to my wake. They'll make little Facebook posts, rip Tony, you know, but in a week, that'll just be another thing, another event, something that happened, but those four people in that house will be you know, affected by that forever forward forever. You know, that's a motion that's going to happen forever, bro. One day I'll leave the earth and hopefully I would have given them every tool and every bit of me that I can to make them successful. Not to just give them a handout and say, Hey, here's a bunch of wealth. Don't blow it, but show them you teach your kids how to fish. They eat for the rest of their life. Yep. Give them a fishing pole, not a fish. Sit baby. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Shit, man. Well, that's pretty. That's pretty great. I think people are gonna enjoy this. Yeah, cool. And if they don't, I will. That's all that matters, <laughs> baby. As long as you did, and we got some good cigars out of it too. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah. I, I appreciate you coming on here. Of course, man. I'm glad to have. I'm glad you had me, and uh, thanks for the hospitality. And I'll put. Um, I'll put Tony's links to everything so you can follow him in the description. He's looking to 
blow up his uh, his social media here soon. So be sure to check him out. Uh, yeah, that's kind of it. Appreciate it. Yes, sir.